All right. Well, hello and welcome to this episode of the Retail Is Podcast. I'm your host, Joey Morgan, joined as always with my co-host, Callie Ross-Seibert. And today we have Paul Atkinson, CEO of Eggleston. Uh, Paul, welcome. And first off, happy anniversary. 65 well, years in business, I think. Uh, the organization has been around since 1955, so we're celebrating our 65th year. Wow. That's, that's a long time. I presume you haven't been there since the beginning. Though. I have not been there for the whole time. So really? I'm, I'm only 32 years. So <laughs> I'm right at about half. So That's still a significant amount of time. Well, yeah, you know, it's, uh, I've been very lucky to be able to be with an organization, help it grow and uh, be associated with such great people and a, and a real strong management team. So, uh, you know, we've made some great progress over that time. Awesome. Why don't you uh, tell us a little bit about what Eggleston does? Um, I know that there's a whole bunch of different business operations that you guys have. Uh, can you get into a little bit of that? Sure. Uh, so the commonality of all everything we do is about uh, improving the lives of uh, individuals with disabilities. And these are generally, we uh, have our services to adults with disabilities, but we do a lot of very different types of business lines. We've been fortunate that for the last 30 years, we have uh, done a significant amount of work with federal contracting. So we run two large commercial laundries, process about 8 million pounds of laundry. We go as far away as the FBI and DEA Academy up in Quantico. We go way into North Carolina to uh, uh, Camp Lejeune and uh, some other uh, customers we have down in North Carolina as far as the government. We serve every branch of the service with uh, our laundry services. Really at the end of the day, what does that really mean? It means jobs for about 80 individuals. So we're processing seven, eight million pounds of laundry a year. We do private hospitals, but the bulk of that work really is the federal work opportunities. And the beauty of that work is that it tends to be higher wages because it works under what's called the Service Contract Act, which is a, a federal requirements that we pay uh, higher than what would be the state minimum wage. So a laundry worker, for example, is making approximately $11 an hour, but more importantly, they get $4.13 of each hour in benefits. So we're able to provide health insurance, some retirement money. So it really is a uh, close to a living wage for people that are working in our laundry uh, through the Ability One program. The other uh, large uh, business line that we're involved in with federal contracting is food service. So we do food service and we have since 1990 at Portsmouth Naval Hospital. We do the food service at the main galley of nation uh, at uh, Naval Station Norfolk. We do the food service out at Oceana. And what does that mean at the end of the day? Jobs for about 60 or 70 individuals working in a food service environment, making a, a fair hourly wage, and more importantly, getting health benefits and a little bit of money for retirement and, and some of the other benefits that go along with working under a federal contract. So if we get out of the, the, the federal sector, our, our private entrepreneurial type uh, activities have been what I would describe as um, social entrepreneurship. And social entrepreneur, entrepreneurship, uh, hard to say that, but it's early in the morning for it, I guess. But yeah. uh, social entrepreneurship really is about uh, being entrepreneurial, but also addressing a social mission. So the social mission is improving the lives 
of people with disabilities. And in that way, we're doing a commercial garden center. We have a whole document management, everything from go going to businesses and picking up uh, documents that need to be shredded. And then more importantly, we've started a document conversion business that uh, we take records for businesses, digitize them, make available on the cloud. And with the way work is going right now, a lot of people wanting to work from home, maybe not so much going into the office type environment. We see that as a huge growth opportunity for us, so much that we acquired another business, uh, a for-profit business that uh, employs about 30 individuals that has been doing scanning work for about 20 years. So uh, that's a business line we're in. Anything in the document management line, we really feel that that um, is the way people are going to want to work moving forward, and we want to be part of that process. So if you call us, we'll come pick up the documents. We run a test box. We tell you how much it's going to cost, and then you get your, your, your records. Most people want to access them on the cloud, but we can also give you just a, you know, a, a record for, for if you have documents you don't think you're going to want to access. You just want an archive record, and you don't want to pay the storage shed to store the records or keep them in your garage. You can keep them on a, you know, a disc and a couple discs and you got all your records. So uh, that's a line of business we're in. We also uh, do fulfillment and uh, refurbishment. So we have a contract with Cox Cable where we handle all of the East Coast of their refurbishment of uh, uh, remotes, a okay. couple, couple different types of remotes. And then we also redo cords and cables for them. Uh, everything from, you know, the whole East Coast. So that is, in effect, is keeping about 25 individuals busy and very proud that uh, uh, about seven of those individuals are, have come through what we call our Warrior Bridge Program, which are veterans. And we really focus on serving veterans that are experiencing difficulty. So whether it's uh, recently transitioned or have transitioned, maybe they've had a difficult time in the past in that transition from the military to private sector. And, um, you know, maybe have, have had some challenges, whether they're mental health or had a, a few problems with whether it's alcohol, substance abuse, whatever it is, we're, we're uh, willing to help them. We might be the employer of record, or we may help work with some of our, our partners out in the community where we place individuals. Mm -hmm. So that's another uh, line of business for us. In addition to that, uh, most, people, most people know us by our vehicle donation program. So every two weeks we, we have an auction. We do sell do at auction donated cars. We'll sell about 100, uh, between 75 and 100 cars every other Saturday. So uh, in the past it was a live auction. Now we do a sealed bid. People come in and look at the cars for the Thursday, Friday, and early Saturday of every other week. They can leave a bid and we call them early the next week and said, uh, you got the, uh, the car, you were the high bidder. So that's another business line we're involved in. So, but the, the glue that holds it all together really is our reha rehabilitation programs and supporting people with disabilities. So we run um, uh, group homes, uh, mm -hmm. we provide residential services to people. So when people were to told to go home and shelter in place, mm -hmm. they, about 40 individuals were going home to one of our group homes. So we had to staff it and keep it going. And in addition to that, we place a lot of people out with host businesses. We have people that call us and say, we might have a job for somebody 
and one of our, what we call employment specialists, will go out, talk to the business, see if we can either job carve or, or create, uh, find the right person to do a good job match. The reality is somebody with a disability, and especially somebody with a fairly significant disability, one of their major barriers is transportation. Mm-hmm. So one, if we can get somebody to a job with public transportation, and uh, maybe, the, maybe the work is close to a, a bus route, maybe they live close to the bus route, we can work that out. Those people are probably gonna be long-term employees. Because yeah. once they figured out that transportation, they're not interested in job hopping because it's so hard to figure out how are we gonna get yeah. to come work reliably. So uh, I talked a lot, I know, um, but that's a very high level overview of some of the business lines that we're involved in. Uh, didn't mention some of the other businesses. So we do a custom embroidery. We do some other other work activities as well. But uh, the, the primary uh, work that we do is all focused around providing opportunities to people with disabilities that either want to work mm-hmm. or need a structured program. So I like to look at all of us need a routine. So people with disabilities need that, that routine uh, sense of purpose, and structure to life, and 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 as well as the economic benefit, we have people that you know help their families to just pay the rent and get through the day. Mm-hmm. We have uh, in this pandemic, I'm proud to say we have not laid off one individual. That's we, amazing. We've had to adjust people's schedule and do some different things, but uh, we have not laid the first person off, and we literally have uh, you know over 600 employees. That's yeah. amazing. I mean to be proud of for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I have a um, a future brother-in-law who's out in California, and he's legally blind. And his he just graduated from college. A really smart kid, but his hardest thing right now is transportation. Every job is just twenty, thirty minutes away, and it's just really struggling. So I keep telling him to come out here. We'll try to help him out somewhere in on the East Coast. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know the the uh, challenge is you know people need a safe place to live. Mm-hmm. You need way to get around. And then you need activities and a purpose. And I think that's what all of us, you know, the idea of having purpose. We, many of our workers, you know, the, we do a lot of laundry for hospitals. Mm-hmm. Hospitals don't run without laundry. Uh, our laundry workers are very proud that, you know, we're delivering laundry to Lake Taylor Hospital, to uh, Portsmouth Naval Hospital, mm-hmm. to the clinic at Langley, uh, to, uh, you know, hospitals down in North Carolina. Uh, that. And, and the reality is people with disabilities tend to live on the margins of society. So, you know, what they say is, uh, you know, as, as society kind of gets the cold, people with disabilities get pneumonia. So, because they really are, uh, maybe haven't developed uh, the ability to, you know, net worth. And, uh, you know, uh, right now, the statistics are that uh, probably one in five individuals will uh, have a disability at some time during their life. So it's, it's fairly pervasive. Uh, you know, the other thing is when you talk about people with disabilities, they're seven times more likely to be abused. Mm-hmm. And I really worry about the sense of loneliness and social isolation. Yeah. You know, a society has kind of treated uh, and, and conditioned people with disabilities, especially people with intellectual disabilities, to be huggers. Now, they didn't do anything different. Now we're saying, you, we're not hugging you. Stay six feet away. And matter of fact, you know, maybe without good communication skills, we all pick up a lot of our communication through uh, facial features and things of that nature. So we're 
we're going to be wearing a mask. We're going to ask them to wear a mask. And yeah, uh, you know, last year people wanted to hug you. Now, you know, if you try to hug us, we're going to push you away and keep your six foot distance. So there's lots going on in the whole issue of as you delve deeper of um, the kind of life that people with significant disabilities are, are faced with. Very true. Um, this is, yeah, a bit personal to me too. My oldest sister has Down syndrome and she's, I've been talking to my parents about it and she's been having real trouble with the no hugging things right now. But as you talked about earlier, uh, she loves the work she does because she's in a similar program, but on the West coast. Uh -huh. And that's her favorite part of the day is actually just having a job to go to. So yep, she was struggling real bad with shutdown. Yeah. Purpose and structure in a, in a routine is very important to people. Uh, certainly important to me. Uh, I'm glad that ex somebody expects me to be somewhere at eight o'clock on Monday. Morning. Yeah. <laughs> So I had a question. I mean, there's all of these different, um, you know, lines of, of the business so different to each other. Mm -hmm. How were they decided upon and where did it all start? Well, it all started with a group of parents uh, that children were not readily absorbed into the job market. And that was 1955. And we started as what was called Tidewater Vocational Center and traded as Tidewater Vocational Center until like 1979, when a woman, Louise Eggleston, uh, in fact, gave us a building. So we were on Collie and 20th Street in, in Norfolk. We had moved up and down the street uh, a bunch of times. Mrs. Eggleston said, I've got this building. We know you're trying to buy a building. It's a grocery store. It's going out of business. She had done a little volunteer work for us. And she said, you know, you can have this building, uh, you know, when I pass away. And really during that six month period, when we were renovating the building and she wasn't charging us anything, she was killed. So the board of directors chose to memorialize uh, what Mrs. Eggleston's gift was and she, and it, and we renamed the program after her. So I say, you know, she helped kind of plant the seed. We have had to be good gardeners to grow the seed. Mm -hmm. And over that period of time, the building that Mrs. Eggleston gave us, I went to the bank and borrowed a million dollars to renovate the building and create a, a laundry. Uh, that was 1990. And uh, really one of the jumping off points was our involvement with federal contracts. So we kind of stepped it up a level. And then the rest of the business lines we've been involved in have really started through partnerships. So whether it's partnerships with, uh, you know, the Virginia Zoo, uh, where we started a horticultural center. Uh, or a partnership with the Civitan Club of Norfolk, you know, where we run a summer camp out in uh, Chesapeake. Uh, most of what we have done is through uh, those established partnerships and we take and we evaluate a business line. We've started business lines that haven't worked, but uh, you know, if, if you, uh, you know, I think they pay you over a million dollars if you bat just 300 in the major leagues. So. <laughs> You only have to hit it, hit a, hit, get a hit once every three times to, to make lots of money. Mm -hmm. So, you know, if you don't take a few chances, you're probably not uh, doing the right thing. If you only uh, are willing to do something when you're sure it's going to work. Over time, we've started things, uh, but we try to involve um, the individuals we provide services to. We have a great board of directors. I have very talented staff. So it really is a collective uh, uh look at potential business lines. And again, you have to have the right culture and be working with the right people. 
and then it's easy, then it's going to work. Uh, so, you know, we, we have started businesses over time and the reality is not everybody wants to do just one thing. If you only have one work opportunities, you know, that's not a choice. One, one opportunity is very limited. You know, you get two opportunities. It's kind of a dilemma. Uh, you, you know, you have to have, uh, what I'd say is it's kind of the Baskin Robbins. We have a, a variety of different flavors. You get to go up there and pick which flavor that uh, is going to work for you. And we've literally had people work for us over 45 years. And I can think of one woman, Hope, that works in our business services now, but she worked in our business services. She went to a food service operation and worked for a few years. She worked in a laundry for about 15 years. Hope was in her neighborhood riding a, an adult tricycle and uh, somebody ran a stop sign and hit her. Mm. She had a shattered her hip and everything. So standing up and working became very difficult for her. She did come back and work for a few years in our laundry, but Hope now works in our business services again. So she's really seen a full evolution of our organization. And in 45 years, she now is old enough to retire, but she wants to come to work. And she does uh, assembly and, and, and packaging uh, for us in, in one of our businesses. That's amazing, just being able to have the opportunity for your employees to, to move across the different businesses if needed as well. Do, you, do they all operate separately as, like, as a business or as, as a nonprofit? How does, it, how does the operation run? So we have a, uh, you know, for, for tax purposes, we have one, we are what's called a 501c3. So it's, it's for charitable purposes. Nobody, uh, you know, has an equity stake in the business. Okay. Uh, so it's owned by the community, basically. So we do have a talented financial staff. So each line of business really is managed as a subunit within our organization. So, for example, you know, we run seven group homes, but we treat that as residential services. So we do track each house and how much they spend on groceries and how much it costs for electricity and cable and some of these other things. But uh, we treat that business as a separate business. So residential services is a separate business. At the end of the day, uh, depending upon how we're counting, we have about 30 business lines from a financial standpoint. And you've got one board that covers we all do. of that. We do, we do have one board. More recently, just in the last couple of years, we started a separate board, which is a foundation board. So the foundation board really is geared to doing nothing but run, uh, work to develop the resources so that we can continue to expand and provide services. One of the critical needs for, uh, you know, people with disabilities and their families, and Joey may understand this better than most, is that most children will outlive their parents. And when you have a child with a severe disability, one of your greatest issues is when I'm not there to help them and support them, what's our life going to be like? So, we, uh, you know, what we found is that just the startup costs for every residential slot is fairly significant. So the last home we did is for people that need total care. So they're, you know, every activity of daily living has to be helped with. So they, they live and they use wheelchairs. They have to have special hoists to get them out of bed in the morning, put in a wheelchair. All of their personal needs has to be done by staff. They have to be fed by staff, uh, transported by staff. Very expensive program. So just to start that program up, 
it's such significant resources that that's part of what the challenge of our foundation board is, is to develop those resources so that we can begin to do a greater uh, address those issues for families and people with disabilities so that families will know that, hey, uh, you know, my, my child will, will do okay. You know, some families, they've already figured that out. Maybe the, the individual will go live with a brother, sister. Uh, maybe they can live independently. But for, for some individuals, uh, they're going to need uh, oversight and support. And when the parents aren't there to provide it, there should be some comfort to the parents that my child is going to be okay and that I feel comfortable with this organization doing an okay job. We're never going to do as good a job as the family. Wow. Joey, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, you've got personal experience in this, you know, in your family, but, you know, it must be sort of, it's a big responsibility for the family, but also I think yeah. for to take on that responsibility too, to make sure that the, the care is there mm-hmm. um, in, you know, these residential services and stuff. Yeah, you know, a lot of families, um, you know, it's a struggle just to get through the day. You know, they're not worried about tomorrow. They're just looking at it very short-sighted, you know, just day-to-day. And, you know, we can understand it from an intellectual standpoint, but it's a different understanding when it's an experiential understanding. Uh, And that, you know, uh, parents, if you have a child with a significant disability, and that child is 45 years old, you know, a lot of us maybe have had children and we, you know, Maybe we got rid of them when they were 25 or 30 now. I don't know what the right age when you stop getting responsible for your kids. I get, you know, so uh, that's not what you wanted to talk about, I know. But when you know that that's your, you're, you're going to have that responsibility for the care of an individual and that the horizon is that till the day you die or can't take care of that person, you're still going to be responsible for them. Emotionally, that is, a, a, you know, a, an overpowering uh, you know, wait on you. Yeah, I'm sure. So I have a question that when, like, back when it all started and Mrs. Eggleston donated the building and society has changed a lot and you have experienced a lot of those changes mm-hmm. and you've been in Eggleston, I presume, like in, in various uh, roles, perhaps. What has been some of those changes in society and how has Eggleston had to adapt to that? Well, the, the biggest issue is I think society and businesses have uh, come to the realization that employing somebody with a disability is a competitive advantage. So uh, that is a shift that in my career I've seen. You know, they've done studies and those businesses that do in fact uh, have a pr- more proactive hiring practice where they reach out and, and engage somebody with a disability within their business, there's a greater feeling of the customer base and they, it's a feel good that this company is doing the right thing and being responsible. So, uh, you know, at one point, schools did not allow children to come to school. That was, that was a law in Virginia, in, in the United States, that did, wasn't enacted until 1975. So if uh, many schools said, you can't send your kids to school till they're toilet trained. Well, guess what? Some kids are never going to be toilet trained. Many of the schools had stairs and, and second floors and no elevators. And if you came and presented your child to school and they used a wheelchair, the, the school could say, you know, you can't send your child to this school, you can't come to school. 
So that law changed in 1975. So since 1975, it's been a progressive understanding and welcoming of people with disabilities as part of society. You know, disability is the human condition. Eventually, all of us, probably something gonna wear out, whether it's our body or our mind or something, is gonna wear out. And, you know, maybe we might do ourselves right now. I like to say I'm a tab. So a tab is somebody that's temporarily able-bodied. Eventually, <laughs> it's not gonna be that way. So, you know, we, we, we do tend to label people with disabilities by their disability. So you say, well, that person has CP or this, you know, they use, use a lot of initials. So now you have an initial, you're a, you're a tab. <laughs> oh, that's fun. <laughs> so, I mean, you've got a foundation that, that is um, part of Augusta, but it's also got a, its own focus. That's right. So with COVID that's happening now and, and possibly permanent changes that are happening in, in the world, how who who's focusing on that who's focusing on the the pivot that they're calling it to to your operations and where your future goals have to sort of change well we're i think this has really focused on who are essential personnel and you know again we haven't laid off the first person yeah we you know had to make some modifications but we tried to get out in front of that modification and um you know, we've, we've had cases of COVID, but we've never had two cases of COVID at the same site. So the COVID really has been that some employee has picked it up at home or outside of work and presented at work, but they haven't shared it at work. So if you try to maintain good, safe practices, you know, wear your mask, clean your hands, keep your distance, you know, some common sense approaches, uh, there we're managing risk and we're going to continue to manage risk but there is at least uh, i think a middle path between just saying it's too dangerous we're going to completely shut down and you know throw away the mask and and, and let's share a beer you know that's yeah. you know uh there's a middle ground there and that's where we've tried to do is 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 find that middle ground and again the people that we employ and engage in are on the margins of society many of them you know, they don't have the resources to fall back on to pay rent and do other things. They need their job. They're committed individuals. I mean, we've got so many stories of people when the when the buses don't run, we've had people walk three miles to get to work, leave early and walk to, to work in the snow. And when he got here, their tennis shoes were so soaked, we had to take them off and throw them in the dryer to dry them out. That's the kind of commitment that we have with some of our employees. So um, hiring somebody with a disability, if you get a good match and it's the right match, is such an asset to a, building, uh, a business. So yeah. is that something that, a bit, that um, say we're talking here to like fellow business owners, sure. and some of them are small business owners, is that, how can they help? How can they, get involved with Eggleston to employ some of your people? Like what is the person? How can Eggleston help them? It sounds like. And it's, a, yeah, it exactly. goes, goes both ways. So we have a whole division that is our community-based employment division where we have what we call employment specialists. They go out and talk to a business. They assess a potential job. They might make some recommendations. At the end of the day, you say, you know, we don't have the right person for you right now, but maybe later we will. Or, they look and say, we think we might have a good match. Let's do some job shadowing, some practice. And 
our staff will be there to help train them on the job. Uh, so it's really, it's a train and then fade. And we'd love to, you know, uh, for the business to say, you know what, we don't need you anymore. We got it now. Leave us alone. This is just another one of our employees. Mm -hmm. And we've had those experiences. That's the ideal experience. But we are willing to continue to follow people and do job upgrades, help retrain, work on issues that might affect uh, the person's performance outside of the work environment. So that's a big part of our business is that effort. The other one is just the, you know, a, a, a B2B support in using some of our business lines, whether that's our document destruction, our document conversion, uh, some of the businesses that we're involved in, it's a chance to, uh, you know, if the, if the other businesses in the community don't support us and the community doesn't support us, we're not going to have work. If we don't have work, we're not going to employ people with disabilities. So the more we get supported, the more partnerships we develop, the more individuals we can provide services to. And the reality is, if you really just think of how many students every year in the Hampton Roads area graduate from, with a special education degree out of different school systems. A lot of them drop out, but those people that do leave with special education certificates. We're not growing that by those kinds of numbers. Our growth is really small in many respects, unless we get a new contract or we acquire a new business line that we have to staff up. So we do have openings right now. We continue to have openings, but we, we're never going to meet the needs of just those numbers of students that uh, graduate. And where they graduate to? They graduate to the couch. So they leave school, they graduate to the couch. Maybe if they are coming from a two-parent family, maybe one of the parents has to stay home now. So they have to quit their job to stay home to provide uh, oversight and support to uh, their family member. If they come from one family, a one-parent household, maybe they have to quit their job. So just that whole economic, um, you know, the economic evaluation of providing more programs and services like what Eggleston provides, there's a whole ripple effect to that. Definitely. Well, it seems to be about our time. Kylie, do you have anything else you want to ask? There's, there's a lot more that I want to ask, but I know that we do have <laughs> time limits. Um, but no, is there anything, Paul, that you'd like to add before we sign off? Well, I just, uh, you know, I, I think, uh, as you were mentioning, the, the whole, uh, uh, how people with disabilities are treated in society is changing and that uh, most individuals uh, get a lot out of that interaction. You might think that the coworkers would uh, feel bad about bringing in a coworker with a significant disability. It's in fact the exact opposite. The, the coworkers and the and the business community can be viewed in a much more positive light by bringing in somebody that needs some help, needs some supports, needs some training. The the the, uh, the business profits from that. Great. I just have one final question. Sure, go for it. As the CEO of an organization, what is one valuable lesson that you'd like to share with fellow business leaders? Um, the, I think, you know, it's not me. You know, it's, it's, it's all of us. And, uh, you know, the, uh, it's, it's not important to take credit for what happens as long as it happens. That's the important thing. So, uh, you know, the idea of uh, we don't do enough to show appreciation for the people that are doing 
the hard work on a daily basis. And, uh, you know, showing that appreciation, I think at the end of the day, what you should be concerned about is the results, not about who gets credit for the results. Well said. All right. Well, thank you, Paul, so much for joining us. That was a a great episode of the Retailers Podcast. Uh, And uh, I hope you have a great day. Thank you, Joey. Thank you. 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 Thank